we're almost at the end of the year. What, what are you going to talk about this week? Well, there's some, there's some random stuff. Uh, obviously, it's a, a quiet period, but there's still some interesting stories. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Apple keeps trying to return to the office, and they continue to be <laughs> continue to fail to to get anywhere get anywhere near it. So originally, they wanted to come back to officially come back to the office in what was it? It was like June of 2021. And then they got delayed till July, then September, then October. And now uh, they were going to originally, the, the last deadline was January 1st as 2022. But with the continuing spikes of Omicron, uh, the company announced this week that they are delaying their return to work from the January 1st date. And they seem to have given up pretending that it's going to be anytime soon so now they have re- delayed the return to work indefinitely they haven't set a future date so presumably sometime next year they want to try again but uh that isn't happening uh, obviously this is all about like i mean the reality is there are people working in apple park like there are the hardware engineers have been back for ages executives have been in and out uh at the moment, Apple employees aren't required to be in the office in general as the general like company policy. So especially in the software department, a lot of them are still working at home because they have no need to be in the office to access equipment. And they a lot of them feel that they can do their work completely autonomously from home anyway without any uh, impairment on productivity. And obviously that was highlighted by the you know the first the first period of the pandemic where it was a set, uh, you know effect, effectively required. And now it's, you know, more voluntary, but still required in many ways. Um, and meanwhile, Apple obviously wants people to go back to their shiny offices because they believe in, you know, person-to-person collaboration and stuff. And so the the ongoing attempt is that in 2022, uh, Cook said Apple's going to trial a hybrid policy where uh, employees are in the office three days a week and they can work from home two days a week. Uh, but they haven't even got to try out that policy yet because they can't get back into the office officially at all because of these continuing waves of of coronavirus yeah uh, it doesn't bode well for for uh press events or giant developer conferences i, I would say i mean you know yeah i mean i think i think the next thing on the radar is like maybe like a spring event in march or april and um at, at the going ray i don't think we're gonna i think it's 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 you know we're still living in virtual event land yeah like i think everybody knows that apple wants to do in-person events again Mm. but especially if they are going to announce this ar headset thing this year they want you know the in-person demo is always better than the online video but i mean i'd love it to be the case in the world being a place where that was allowable but we only need like omicron will probably last for three or four months maybe longer and then that's that basically wipes out the spring event probably wipes out wwdc as well because they obviously have to make plans in advance mm-hmm. and you only need another variant to cause another problem in another month or so so mm-hmm. it's it's still very unclear like maybe they could do like obviously not right now but maybe next year they could do a media event and they only invite us press so they don't allow like international people to come in uh, if Omicron calms down a bit and we got back to like a situation where we were in kind of like you know September October maybe, uh, but that kind of then feels unfair because they want the international press. That it's a very complicated situation for them, I'm sure. But they're not going to risk the health side of things, so they're just going to have to be annoyed in their own in their own glass cabins. If you, <laughs> yeah. if you take if you take the analogy, yeah. Uh, C- CES this year is still happening. Um, yeah, I mean they're. It's a rare exception to. I was, I was <laughs> gonna say Apple. Is, I was gonna say Apple doesn't want to go first, but CES is like nothing can stop us. Yeah, CES is obstinately released on Tuesday, uh, the twenty first. That CES continues in person, but it seems that uh, everyone's dropping like flies. Like loads of the news publications said they're not attending in person. Uh, half of the like distributors and the um, are all saying they're dropping out. So who who knows? Like there's still another week and a half before CES is actually meant to happen. So they might give up on the idea as well of course for a company for a company like apple being in person or not is less impactful when the entire business of ces is the event right like they don't do anything the rest of the year so they're going to be more attached to their laurels and obstinate just because that's how their business runs but i presume at some point they'll see sense and probably drop drop the whole thing again for the year as much as they will. Or they'll, or they'll run it and no one will attend, which is another outcome. But. Yeah, that's probably more likely. They, 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 I know this year they're, um, because of um, 
just local policy because it's a big event, masks are required indoors. Um, they're not requiring um, daily tests by attendees for, for COVID, but but they are supplying a kit with tests. I think you get two. <laughs> uh, and, and so that's sort of their accommodation. They, they had a they had a, a, pit, a pitch yesterday that was um, came through in, as an email and it really struck me uh, that the headline for this release was more than 100 health companies to take center stage at CES. It's like, oh, okay. And then in-person CES will showcase COVID-19 solutions, digital therapeutics, telehealth, and more. And like, hmm, I- irony is is alive and well. Uh, that's that's something. Um, I mean, it's, without, without needing to say it, you're not going anymore because I know on a previous episode that you said you were, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, 9 to 5 Mac kind of isn't uh, mostly... Yeah, yes. Yeah. I, I I had these the flight credits that I keep booking, like booking flights. Like I booked a flight with my money a long, long time ago. Don't don't remember when. And then I had to cancel the flight, and then it became flight credit. And then this was going to be the time when I redeemed it, and it was going to expire within days of not using it. Uh, and, and so I, I booked the flight. You know, everything's fine a few weeks ago, and then um, you know, situation changed, and so. I, I've now I'm now accumulating more and more flight credit, so. <laughs> uh, but 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 the but the upside is that the uh, expiration date has not been pushed out because of because it's new flight credit, not the old flight credit. So. How, how's the booster availability in in the US? Because I got mine done at the weekend, but I don't know what it's like in America. Uh, in the US, it was just confusing as to what your local policy was by your government uh, state mostly about when you would qualify. And then finally there was sort of just a blanket. Everyone, if you want, if you want the booster, please go get it. So I had mine several weeks ago, you know, we talked about it on the show. Um, And, and at that time, like I I booked the appointment for the night before, I think, I think, you know, where where I live in the South is, you know, it was, it was actually pretty busy with people getting, getting shots that day, but um, you know, availability is easy. It's, It's convincing people to have the initial or you know even even i was like i, I wasn't immediately you know key uh, i wasn't wasn't nervous about it i just didn't prioritize the booster and then eventually you know i was like i'm gonna go get this done so yeah 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 and then okay that's enough of covid for one week sure <laughs> just, just a little update on but it's uh, so it's so real it is oh no, it is no. but i mean the reality life. is by the time we have another episode, which would be like first week of January, there's a good chance the UK will be back in lockdown again because that's is firing up pretty bad. I got you. It, but yeah. Well, it's just an endless, an endless story, isn't it? But yeah. luckily, there are some happier things in the Apple world to discuss. At least uh, one of those things is I had spoke a bit about the um, the optimized battery charging stuff with my MacBook Pro and how it took it like three weeks for it to say, oh, now it will it let my schedule and it won't charge past eighty percent until about seven o'clock and. Uh, then it stopped working again. Well, since that episode, not only has it started working again, it's also recognized that I now, quote, ready used on battery power in the menu bar, which means it doesn't charge at all past 80%, regardless of what the hour of the day is, which is what I wanted in the first place. And okay. I was hoping there'd be like a UI option for, which there isn't. But the intelligent smarts of Apple machine learning have realized that that is how the laptop is used. So pretty much every day now it just only charges to 80% unless I click on the menu bar button and say charge to full which I'm very happy about so mm-hmm. that's good oh nice happy hour this week is brought to you by smile software and our friends at text expander supercharge your team in the new year with the power of text expander it quite simply saves you time and you make fewer mistakes text expander lets you set up reusable snippets of text that can be inputted anywhere you can type you just type out a short assigned abbreviation and Text Expander fills in the rest. Snippets can be simple things like hard to spell names, repetitive email intros, or even complex support messages with fill in the blank fields to easily customize and personalize the message as needed for the current context. And if you're working in a team, you can use Text Expander to improve consistency of messaging as well. With everybody using the same synced snatch of snippets, you know everyone is saying the same thing. And Smile recently released a major new version, Text Expander 7, which brings a fresh new experience that makes the app even easier to navigate and to use. You can use Text Expander in so many ways to reduce human error and speed up your workday, whether you're dealing with common customer support emails, sales messaging, or just things that you always forget how to spell correctly. Text Expander is the solution. Text Expander works on any platform, in any app, 
anywhere that you type. So take back your time and unlock your productivity with Text Expander. Listeners to this show can get 20% off their first year subscription. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more and sign up. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. I mean, you've got more experience now with the mini LED. Uh, anything changed there in your, your experience after using it on your MacBook Pro for a little while? Yeah, I, I think on this show, actually, you asked me, would you prefer OLED or mini LED, like if you had the choice? Sure. Uh, for the screen. And I think at the time I said mini LED because you get max, better maximum brightness and you get the, um, you know, the contrast and stuff. But I have noticed a few little issues that, and again, I think all display technologies represent trade-offs at the moment. Like some of them you get nicer blacks, but you don't get, you, you worry about burning or you get the jelly scrolling effect or you get the jelly black effect on OLED a lot. Mini LED has its own fair share of issues too, it's fair to say. Like, the big thing is, there's, you get a kind of similar... What I've noticed is the main thing I, I see every day is the vignetting on the corners of the screen, which we talked about, but I can live with that. The The haloing effect is noticeable in some situations, especially when it's just like white text on a black background, but it's not... Um, It doesn't get in the way. Like, I don't... My eyes don't get drawn to it too much so that i i kind of take as like a wash whatever it, it works fine i think it's worse on the ipad than the mac for whatever reason so if they can improve the ipad screen to match what the MacBook pro does in that regard that'd be good but the main thing that i noticed since we had a, that episode discussion is that if you have really dark content and then you change the screen rapidly to like white content or a lot lighter content you can see the screen transition so i think what's happening is the so the the mini LED panel, you've got the LCD pixels, and then behind that you've got a backlight layer, which is the ten thousand mini LEDs, right, spread up into little groups of four around the screen. And when the content is lit up, it chooses the dimming zones behind that represent the lighter content, that hence allowing you to get both really deep blacks and really bright on the same screen at the same time. Because OLED works by every single pixel is individually lit, whereas uh, the LCD uh, display is one single backlight, and mini LED is ten thousand little backlights. And in most situations, the mini LED solution works fine. But what I have noticed, and if you if you change rapidly from dark to light, you almost see like a little mini ghosting effect that lasts, you know, a few hundred milliseconds. And so, say if you have an email which has like a black image in it, and then a load of text around it, if you just scroll up and down. And if you're scrolling not with like a smooth scroll, but you're doing like a, a page down scroll where it's like flicking by a decent amount in, in one frame, you essentially see like a, a mirage blur of the image as it gets replaced by white text. And so basically what I think is happening is the LEDs that serve as the backlight are quite or relatively slow to respond to changes in their brightness. So it doesn't matter too much in day-to-day use when most of the time colors on the screen are changing very gradually or the entire screen's changing at once. And if the entire screen changes at once, all the pixels are doing the, you know, the transition so your brain kind of doesn't notice it. But if you've got like isolated areas of content changing and going between huge deltas in contrast from light to dark or dark to light, then it is actually quite noticeable where you can see the white page and then the screen changes, but it takes like a few refreshes for the backlight to catch up and it to fade away. So that is something that has become problematic. It's not a deal breaker. And obviously, I would still take the mini LED display over uh, the previous LCD generation because in most cases, it works great. But if you're doing certain tasks, like you know a lot of emails with some images in between, or maybe you're, you, I don't really use dark mode too much, but if you use dark mode with like a dark black background and white text and you're constantly moving around like text edit or terminal, I think there's more chance for these artifacts to show up and be annoying. I think it's not to the point where you'd ever want to like return the machine, but it is a downside and a drawback of the thing that I hadn't really acknowledged originally. Something else this week is uh, you expressed uh, behavior on iOS that, that you've, you've observed and it, and, and I've, realized I had the same thing happening, which is something in iOS 15 with the live text feature where in a photo, iOS can recognize, not just recognize text, but let you select it, copy and, you know, move it somewhere else, that that sort of thing. 
what what's this this issue you've experienced <laughs> yeah like this is something that i think i was feeling subconsciously for a couple of months and then it hit me like multiple days in a row last week and so i like flagged it up and you were like oh yeah i get that as well and basically it's about live text so live text is the feature where you essentially get inbuilt automatic optical character recognition of your photos on ios and on mac so if you see a picture and it's got text in it you can click on it to select the text just as if it was typed out and obviously and then in this happens in the camera app it happens in photos it happens in safari happens in a fair amount of applications uh, mostly first party apps because i don't think there's like an official third party api yet which is kind of a shame but it, the feature is great and in most cases it's really useful uh if there's something that's written down and you want to copy it out, it's you know you just you just select it like it was actual text and it just works. Uh, I used it. Uh, there was a um, I don't know if you saw the uh, the New Yorker profile of Jeremy Strong from Succession and uh, Aaron Sorkin posted like a big rebuttal on Twitter about it, and but he posted it as like a a screenshot of text and it was his massive little text. So I just copied the text out so I could read it easier and it the live text thing worked really well. But the issue arises when you're looking at a picture and you don't care about the text in it, but it triggers anyway. And specifically, I get this if I'm looking at like photos and I want to double tap to zoom in. Well, more often than not, it feels like I double tap and it just selects the text rather than zooming in the screen. Because they're just like on so iOS text selection, you can either drag to select or you can like double tap a word and then drag out the little handles. And so they've copied those same behaviors and gestures over to the live text implementation as well. But for whatever reason, you'd think, oh, on this entire massive image, just double tapping to zoom in, it'll be fine because there's not text in the way. But incredibly frequently, I'm double tapping and it selects the text rather than zooming in the screen. And often it's like the text is so small that there's no way that my intent would ever be to select the text because it was like one pixel tall on the screen, but you double tap in that place and it highlights the text rather than zooming in. So it's really annoying and it like breaks a lot of muscle memory. So basically now I'm back to just doing pinch zooming all the time if I want to zoom into photos, but even functionally annoying, but also just like habitually annoying because when you're bored or whatever, sometimes I just double tap on things to zoom in and out because for the fun of it. And now it's like ruined because it pops up the live text handles all the time. It's ruined. Yeah. <laughs> no more fun can be had. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, like you, like when you mentioned it, I thought about, oh, recently I experienced the same thing. And it just, in the moment, it isn't that I double tap photos for fun, but that when I, when I did do that, it's like, wait, this didn't behave the way it usually does. What? And, and of course, that, that's the reason why. Yeah, maybe they could fix it by only requiring like a a long press to select the text in live text mode, or the text has to be like particularly big for the double text to work for the double tap yeah. thing to activate it. I think I think the, the challenge is finding the balance between making um, live text discoverable and you, you, if you you know there's a long history of of long press gestures to uh, uh, make hidden things show up. So that's probably the concern, but then you've got to balance it too with the behavior in every other photo that doesn't have text showing. Yeah, and in some contexts, like the Photos app, they let you do the drag select and the double tap select, but they also just have a button on the screen, which is the live text icon, and then you click on that and it goes into like highlighting the text. So I think there's an argument that they could just disable the drag selection or the double tap selection unless you actually press the live text button. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least maybe make that an option or something. Yeah, it feels like it's a different mode of the photo <laughs> to be able to interact with the text. Uh, yeah, I, I understand that. Um, so something else is that uh, it's an experience that I've had for years with the Mac is um, the keyboard shortcuts for taking screenshots. So uh, on, you know, we all know on the iPhone and, and the iPad, um, you know, you hold down the. Um, well, now that I'm saying it, <laughs> it's one of but, those things you do like instinctively without yeah, really, like the side button memory. and the volume button, right? Yeah, and before that, it was the side button, you know, the power button and the and the home button um, to take a screenshot. And you know, um, I think that's, pe- people people understand that it's pretty pretty easy to to spread the news on that. Um, on the Mac, it's a little bit different because it's a it's a key combination, you know, which is not strange to to be on the Mac, but um, I've I've never found the default set of key combinations to work uh, with uh, my brain. So what what they are is 
to save the, the picture of the screen as a file, take a screenshot of the entire screen, have it save as a file on your desktop, you know, there's your entire screenshot, it's, it's um, Command-Shift-3. Um, perfectly reasonable. I don't know why it starts out with 3 instead of 1, but it does. So Command-Shift-3. If you want to do just a, a selected portion of, of the screen, um, save that as, as a file, you do Command-Shift-4, and that lets you drag and drop or, or drag a little net, and then you say which part you want to save as a file. Um, and, and in recent years, they've added Command-Shift-5, which just gives you this whole um, menu set of, of options for, for taking the screenshots in different ways with timers and um, saving them to different locations and even doing video recording from that. Um, so so th- those, those, are, those are reasonable. The two that I... I, I don't quite sit well with me that I've never been able to, to save to my muscle memory is if you want to save your screenshot to the clipboard, which isn't so much of a concept on iOS. I mean, you get the little preview now and you can like tap it and do something with it and then delete it. But on the Mac, you can do a screenshot and it saves to your clipboard. There's no file. So if you just want to put it somewhere and send it off and not have to manage, you know, delete the file later or have a bunch of screenshots show up, um, you save it to your clipboard. So it's really, really nice. You can do that with both the full screenshot or a portion of the screen. Um, again, you're using Command-Shift-3 and Command-Shift-4, but this time you're including the option key, which is, um, or, or excuse me, the control key, which is denoted by the little uh, upward arrow. Uh, and and that fourth key is where, I, where, I, where I'm lost, where I, it mm-hmm. loses me. And I guess, you know, we're still using three and four as, as the numerical there. I, why aren't one and two used again? And so what I always do on a new Mac installation or, you know, uh, setting up a Mac from scratch is I keep three, four, and five. The, the Well, no, I change everything. Five stays the same. But I, I, I save, um, I, I use command shift one if I want to save the picture of the screen as a file. That's like the de facto screenshot. And then if I want to save a portion of the screen as a file, command shift two. So now in my mind, I'm using one and two. And because one and two are first, those are the ones that are like standard screenshot file. And then I do command shift three to be uh, the screenshot shape of the clipboard. And then uh, command shift four for selected area goes to the clipboard. Um, and, and so then I've got one, two, three, four, and five. No control key necessary. Um, no wondering why one and two aren't used because then they are used. And it, it really works well for me. And so a few, I guess last week or so, I was going to just tweet out that the screenshot, the defaults are bad and this is what I use. And um, I thought, well, you know, I should probably write this up because in a tweet, it's not going to make as much sense. <laughs> let me, let me use screenshots and, you know, describe it and everything. And, um, and that, and that's what I do. And, and, and I think that's one of the things where the defaults are not great. There's a lot of those, by the way, I think that are not great. Like right click being turned off by, secondary click being turned off by default. Um, but what, what do you what do you think about those changes and, and what the defaults are? You know, I agree. Like most common Mac Mac short keyboard shortcuts, I think, are pretty sensible. Like they do, you know, they follow convention or the 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 letter that you have to press matches the action. Cut but then the screenshot stuff you do so frequently, and it's these esoteric numbers that like I feel like the default screenshot action should not be a three key combination it should be like a two key combination mm-hmm. <laughs> and especially the fact they now have what five different options for various variants on taking a screenshot mm-hmm. like kind of kind of kind of insane uh if you look at the windows world their keyboards just have a print screen button on it so they've just adopted print screen to be take a screenshot so they have a one button uh screenshot action Ooh. which in the modern world i think is actually pretty sensible because you know i probably take a screenshot more often than i enable caps lock for instance so sure sure if if i mean you probably can do this but if you could rebind caps lock to take a screenshot in the first place maybe that'd be a better a better route but there's like it's probably one of these things that has existed in the mac for so long that they don't want to change the convention because a lot of ingrained mac users would be confused about it or they would be annoyed but I feel like if you're new to the Mac and Apple keeps saying that over half of Mac buyers are new or whatever, those multi-finger keyboard combinations for something as common as taking a screenshot is pretty alienating. And the it's perfectly true that you can change the screenshots and you can change the uh, sorry you can change the keyboard combinations around uh, in system for in system preferences. You don't need third-party apps, but it's quite buried. And 
most normal users aren't going to find that stuff. Uh, yeah, it, it's system preferences, keyboard, and then shortcuts, and then screenshots. So, and then you have to like yeah. it, the, the the process of changing the of rebinding the shortcut is pretty annoying because you have to like click in that little gap on the right, and then you have to type in the new thing. But yeah. then you have to work out what button you have to press to like confirm it. But if you press the wrong one, that gets included in the screenshot transcript in in the actual and like, you, keyboard. And you can't have like two of the same. So by me changing the defaults or all of them or, you know, four out of five, I have to do them in a certain order because you can't have two of the same screenshots that they conflict. Yeah. And they might conflict with other screenshots on the system and like all this stuff. Uh, So keep saying screenshots, I mean, shortcuts. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Anyway, you know what we mean. Anyway, yeah. I feel like they could have a better equilibrium of just a better default here for the default screenshot action. Because what I've, uh, when I had a touch bar Mabber Pro, I put the screenshot button on the right hand side in the little control strip area because it's that convenient and it was just one button click away but now i'm on the 16 inch map pro the the touch bar is gone so my current behavior is just to do the command shift 5 one all the time because that gives you access to all of the available options uh specifically for screenshots if you want to do like something a bit more in between that isn't as uh overwhelming as the command shift 5 thing which like fully takes over the screen with this little modal interface if you do the uh the save the picture as a file one and it comes up as that little preview in the bottom right from there you can right click and copy or you can drag the little thumbnail directly into the application you're using so if you want something that's in between but you don't have to remember a load of different numbers you can just do like command shift 3 get the little thumbnail preview you can right click on it you can open it in a separate app you can copy it to the clipboard from there you can drag it into application you can and if you just leave it, it will just get saved as the file to the to the file location. Uh, so that's a decent in between, but I think Apple probably could do with getting a dedicated screenshot for it. Like with the MacBook Pro 16 inch, they have new um, function keys for like do not disturb and dictation mm-hmm. and search. Right? They could have done one for screenshotting, <laughs> like <laughs> especially the, the the fact they added the do not disturb with the little moon icon with this generation in the same year when they brought focus to the Mac, which doesn't work at all with just a, a binary enabling of do not disturb anymore like because <laughs> you can have like custom icons with different focus states like that felt very strange to me like that, this was the year they decided to do that if that if that option instead was the little camera of taking a screenshot i'd probably use that a lot a lot more so definitely not a great state that it's in but it's nice to make people aware that this can be changed from within system preferences and as a little like even more technically bonus geeky thing you can actually add custom keyboard shortcuts for actions that aren't even assigned keyboard shortcuts in mac os so if you know the name of the item in the menu in the menu bar so in the menus if there's a item there that doesn't have a keyboard shortcut but you want to add it if you go into that same keyboard uh, system preferences screen you go to app shortcuts it lets you basically type in the name of the menu item and then you assign a custom shortcut so that when you do the custom shortcut in the app it binds it to that same menu item with the exact matching name you have to get the name exactly right otherwise right. It won't so work. It, it, it's a very manual process but that's how i do um I, I think i do command shift v to paste and match style so that if that's a like, good one actually because matching style is almost always what you want to do i i do a custom custom one for uh, move to built-in display because i have two displays when i turn off my oh, and this is actually more of a problem on the older Mavic pro where it wasn't as good at window management but when you turn off the old display, the windows of the app would get stuck on the second display and not come back to the first one. So I'd do a keyboard shortcut that would basically use the... It, the in the, Under the window menu, there's a move to built-in display option. But that, by default, doesn't have a keyboard shortcut onto it. So it's really annoying to do. But I basically bound a custom shortcut to it so that when you type those like three letters in, it would just make the window move back to the internal display without me having to like, mess around and somehow work out how to drag it back on or something so that's how i use it uh but obviously there's you know unlimited flexibility there if you get down into the the nitty-gritty yeah and and some of that stuff should like we were saying how the the max default screenshot actions are way more confusing than the ipads but on the contrary all of that keyboard shortcut customization you don't have any of that on the ipad at the moment so some of that functionality should go b- flow in the other direction to allow the ipad to be more customizable like the mac gets some of it's right some bits right gets some bits wrong mm-hmm. and i hadn't considered that maybe i hadn't considered that even maybe the screen the, the, the screenshot shortcuts that i use would be better as the default not just for me 
But mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with that. And it wouldn't be as, I don't think that would be as changing these wouldn't be as big as changing like trolling direction with, with that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's fair. Especially when you're competing <laughs> against a Windows laptop, which is you just puts a print screen button on it, which is yeah. one press. So sure. I'm sure a lot of switches get confused by that. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by Upstart. If you're carrying a credit balance month after month after month after month, it can feel like a never-ending cycle of debt. Upstart can help you make that final payment so you can get ahead. The weight of debt can be crippling, but Upstart can help you on your path to financial freedom. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan done online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expensive expenses over a million people have used upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear and transparent payoff date rather than looking at just your credit score upstart can consider other factors like your income like your income current employment and credit history to find you a smarter rate for your loan you can check your rate without impacting your credit score for loans worth between one to fifty thousand dollars and it only takes minutes to do you can even receive funds in as fast as one business day after accepting your loan find out how upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash happy hour that's upstart.com slash happy hour u-p-s-t-a-r-t.com don't forget to use our url to let them know that we sent you loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application one more time go to upstart.com slash happy hour to apply thanks to upstart for sponsoring the show you know, Mayo, Apple has fixed so much of, of, of the, you know, the, the Mac, the things that the people in the Mac community complain about, um, you know, this year alone. And, um, and, and that's a, that's a good situation that we're in. But one thing that's unresolved is having a monitor to attach to most of the Mac laptops that are, you know, that are reasonably priced. <laughs> the monitors are reasonably priced. You know, it, it's, you, you can spend six thousand dollars on an Apple display, but it feels kind of weird to use that with a with a thousand dollar MacBook Air, for example. So that that's that's happening. Um, but maybe there's some good news here coming if you believe rumors. Yeah, I mean, Bloomberg's been talking about external display in early development since 2020, and there's been some other stuff pointing that direction. Uh, you know, our own Filippi Esposito uh, reported on a custom silicon. 32-inch uh, external display in development at Apple early this year. And this week, we also had another pretty reliable leaker from Twitter called uh, Dylan KT, who has been one of the most accurate Twitter leakers this year, I'd say. He's had a lot of stuff, especially around the iPhone 13 and the MacBook Pros, that came out to be true. Uh, he commented on the swirling uh, developments around the Apple external display area with seemingly information sourced from LG, which is like Apple's primary display partner. So he said, there are three LG-made displays encased in unbranded enclosures for usage as external monitors that are in early development, two of which have the same specifications as the upcoming 27-inch iMac Pro and the current 24-inch iMac display. The other display seems to be an improved 32-inch Pro Display XDR. Despite the lack of branding, it can be assumed at the very least that this display, i.e. the 32-inch one, will be Apple-branded. So if you just take the tweet at face value... The only thing he's really committing to is that there will be a new Pro Display XDR, right? In terms of Apple displays. However, it's also very possible that one or two of those 27 inch and 24 inch displays that he mentioned do end up becoming, you know, Apple branded. We can't be certain of that, of course, because what has LG done for the past five years where they've sold uh, ultra fine displays? And they've sold ultra fine displays in two sizes, right around 24 inch and 27 inches. So. There's nothing like surefire um, silver bullet in terms of connecting those displays to a like an Apple branded official position, but I think it's very fair that if Apple did come out with a external display of their own, it's probably going to be the same panel that they use in either the 24 inch iMac or the 27 inch iMac, and I could very easily see like the 24 inch one being something that LG releases as another ultra fine offering, and then the 27 inch one ends up as an apple branded solution or even there's an apple version that is more expensive and has a nicer case but the underlying panel is the same and lg still releases a ultra fine display using the same panel just because they have a wider market they can sell it for cheaper with you know like a plasticky stand and not very nice materials and they can address like the windows market as well that wants the same kind of same kind of display so i think this is another good pointer in the right direction obviously i'd love an apple external display we all would that doesn't cost seven grand 
uh, the I'm sure the new 32 inch Prospect VR will be really pretty, and it will hopefully have more dimming zones than the current one does because the current Prospect VR it has 500 dimming zones, which is like dwarfed by the 10,000 in the iPad Pro and and the MacBook Pro these days. So mm. if they do do an upgrade to the 32 inch, they clearly need to give it a lot more dimming zones to be competitive in terms of blooming effect. And uh, and at the time, Apple made a lot of comparisons uh, between the $5,000 Protospex DR and like $40,000 reference monitors. And so, of course, when the displays came out, they were like compared head com- um, compared head to head. And a lot of like pro color artists and video editors found that, yeah, while the Protospex DR was good, it doesn't get close to matching the reproduction quality of the 40000 monitor. So it kind of sits in a no man's land of this monitor is more expensive than what the average person wants to buy or even what the prosumer wants to buy. Uh, but if you're a professional color artist, you probably don't want it because it's not accurate enough. So you have to get the twenty, thirty thousand dollars monitor anyway. So I think they can definitely strike a better balance there. If they're going to keep it at the same price, they need to make it more competitive with the higher end options. Apart, one of the main issues that the Pro Display XDR has is severe vignetting. So and off angle color distortion. So I, I, I see this on the Mini LED display on the MacBook Pro, but the 32 inch Pro Display XDR has this even more. Um, severely and if you're sitting in the dead center of the pro display xdr it's quite a distance in terms of um like a parallel line from your eye to the side of the screen and you can see like the off-axis color distortion uh quite plainly on the pro display xdr which you don't get on the more expensive reference monitors so there's some clear areas for them to improve there as well as 120 hertz etc etc uh but if you go down the line and just talk about the consumer level monitors which are for us, right? Because they're not going to be five grand plus one grand for the stand. You can ship basically the 24 inch iMac monitor, people will be very happy. Or you can ship the 27 inch monitor. And we expect that the 27 inch iMac coming out in 2022 will have mini LED just like the MacBook Pro. And it will have 120 hertz refresh rate just like the MacBook Pro. And that quality panel is perfectly fine for a 5K XL display that is, you know, in the more reasonable. Well, I mean, a, a super reasonable display would be like probably nine ninety nine, but you know what Apple's going to be. It's probably closer to 2000 But at that level, it's expensive, but it's way more palatable than the Pro Display XDR offering. I mean, the 24-inch the iMac is, what, twelve ninety nine, And so if you charge nine ninety nine for the standalone version of, of that, just the monitor, for $1,000, that's pretty good for 4.5K, stand included. Um what 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 I'm thinking about is that you you know on on the Pro Display XDR they have the I think it's a thousand dollar option to add the nano texture finish right where it's like yep. a matte finish okay cool um, and then they brought that to the latest iMac 27 inch as well and but it's not a thousand dollar option it's I, I, I don't have the number in front of me but it's it's a lot less than a thousand dollars granted you've got like five inches less diagonally. But I feel like it's just a better value there on the iMac than it was on the, than it is on the Protospay XDR. Um, and then, and then they, they did not do a nano texture as an option at all on the 24 inch iMac, um, which is, you know, which is okay because they didn't do it ever for the 21 and a half inch iMac either. Um, so, so a few things I'm looking for. Does the 27 inch, uh, iMac continue to have the nano texture? option like the one it will replace when it goes to m1 um or, or whatever variant of m1 and 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 if so and they make a monitor to match that will i be able to buy a 27 inch monitor with nano texture and a stand included because because that you now have you have to have a stand on your feature request list for a monitor because of the part of the xdr um and and so you know, maybe 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 the way that they sell it is that it doesn't, it's not as, uh, it doesn't articulate the way that it, you know, can rotate on its arm and everything. But, um, that's where I'm looking at. And then, yeah, whatever they do in the 32 inch space, (laughs) the Pro Display XDR2, it's still, it's just another world from where I live. So I'm in that, I'm in that middle space there where I'm interested. Same for sure. If Apple comes out with a a thousand to 2000, 27 inch monitor, I'll definitely buy it, but I'm not paying. Five grand up was just for a screen. Sorry. And then uh, next up is uh, we 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 in iOS fifteen point two we have the new warning about sensitive images that is a feature of screen time. 
and there's nothing for CSAM yet. That was delayed. And there was a little bit of a story uh, happening about any CSAM mention on Apple's website going away, but that's just to match the strategy of we're regrouping on that feature. Um, but what, what do you think about uh, just sort of maybe sort of how iOS 15.2 handles the feature that has come? And then what do you think will happen next with CSAM and Apple's strategy for addressing that? Yeah, so the 15.2 shipping feature is for messages app only, right? And it's specifically aimed at like children being um, warned, at least up front, that someone sent them content involving nudity or inappropriate stuff and they want to be sure that they actually want to see it. Uh, and in the original proposed implementation of this feature, when the child chose to view the image, the parent would be notified uh, as part of the process to open a conversation between the parent and the child about, you know, what's safe to look at, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a problem? But in the initial uh, rebuttals to the CSAM stuff, queries were raised that if you've got abusive parents or you're in a, a bad family environment, it's kind of unfair that the child uh, cannot view this image without notifying the parent. So when it was reintroduced uh, in 15.2, the, the the automatic notification to the parent is not included. When you view an image like that, uh, as a child who has this setting enabled, uh, it will say, do you want to talk to somebody about this, including family members and stuff? But you can say no, and it doesn't notify anybody at all. Uh, and the feature is off by default. So to enable it, you have to explicitly go into settings and turn it on. Now, I just kind of assume this would be in like, I don't know, messages settings or something like that. Or when you go into like Apple ID family sharing settings, it would be one of the options there of like communication options. But for whatever reason, it's buried in screen time. So you have to go like screen time, select the child and then select like communication restrictions. And then you can turn it on for somebody under the age of 13. After they after the Apple ID account uh, goes over the age of 13, it's just automatically removed. So uh, apart from the fact that it's in a weird place in settings, I think they've implemented this feature decently. On the CSAM scanning side of life, obviously it, the, 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 the new story was that the website about communication safety features had removed all references to the CSAM stuff. But essentially the website was just reflecting what Apple had now shipped because before it was written like, here's what we intend to do. And then they'd rechange the website after 15.2 came out to say, like, here's what you can do now in iOS 15.2. It didn't say that, like, the CSM stuff had been cancelled or anything like that. And Apple gave a statement to The Verge basically con- confirming that they still plan to do it. Obviously, politically, they're in a kind of awkward position because a lot of people had it. There was a lot of backlash when this stuff was proposed, but they kind of have to do it if they want to do, like, end-to-end encryption down the line or they're going to have to go back on their word and just revert to a server-side model of scanning just like every other big tech company. But Apple spent like two months saying that that was a bad plan. It was less secure. We don't want to do that. They want to do it on device. But a lot of people have philosophical concerns of doing it on device. Uh, Not me included, but a lot of people clearly did. So now I'm not really sure what they're going to do. I said this at the time. I reckon it will probably ship in a very similar format to what it happened to what it was previewed in august like if you look at the 15.2 changes for messaging you know they turned off the automatic notification but that was pretty much it and then they shipped it as it was Mm -hmm. and people haven't had a big it clearly you know it it shipped and people have been generally accepting of it i think the csam thing will probably go down a similar route it will make it will be they'll have time to make more messaging around it to explain what's going on uh, maybe they'll have a, a toggle for you to like fully disable it potentially, or maybe I think maybe they could do an option where it's like if you want end-to-end encryption, uh, you have to have client-side scanning for CSAM, or if you turn off client-side scanning for if you turn off client-side scanning for CSAM, we will mark your account to be scanned server-side instead. So maybe they split the difference like that, uh, but I don't think the the core principles are going to go anywhere. It's just going to take them some some time to get that stuff realigned before they can present it again to the public and and we've got a new version of ios we've got a new version of mac os as well in beta um ios 15.3 beta uh is there anything anything new there i know you can install it <laughs> the, you, you can you can go into the, the funniest thing about this was it appeared on the website hidden so on the friday alongside the mac os beta people realized that if you viewed the source code for the apple developer website the 15.3 links were just like commented out so in the html source code you could just see the urls and everyone rushed to download them early before apple like did it officially but they were kind of uh, boring because there was basically no chain no no discernible changes in the actual operating system on the 
iOS 15.3 side of matters, the Mac uh, situation is a bit more exciting, which we'll talk about in a second. Finally this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by Prisoner Wine. What matters most when it comes to a great wine? Is it the taste? Is it the vintage? Is it the price? These are all important factors, but also the story behind the wine and who made it matters. Introducing the Prisoner Wine Company. The Prisoner Wine Company is simply here to bring you the best wine around with impeccable attention to detail. It insists on doing things differently. 20 years ago, they combined some of California's most unusual grape varieties to make a bold and complex blend to create their flagship product, the namesake Prisoner Red Blend. It evokes ripe fruit flavours like raspberry and pomegranate, and it is refined to be incredibly smooth, but still rich and approachable. And it comes in a beautiful bottle featuring Francisco Goya's iconic artwork. In fact, the flagship Prisoner Wine brand is one of Napa Valley's most recognised red blends, appearing in publications like The Wine Spectator, Forbes, and Food and Wine. But of course, the only way is to experience these wines for yourself. Try one bottle, and you will taste and see just how good the Prisoner Wine Company is. And now, Prisoner Wine will ship all of their rule bending blends, like the Prisoner Red Blend, the Prisoner Chardonnay, and the Thorman Lot, direct to your door. Now, Zach, I know you tried this out around Thanksgiving, right? I did. I had the full experience where I was leaving my home to go to Thanksgiving dinner with my parents. And on the front porch was a wine bottle shaped package. And I picked it up and I brought it with me knowing what was going to be inside. And it was perfect for Thanksgiving dinner. You can tell it's a nice bottle of wine. It's nothing from the grocery store. It's not a box of wine in a bag. Uh, and then the taste is really good. So I, I, I actually do enjoy red wine and my stepmom does as well. And this is something that satisfied both of our tastes. Mine's more on the sweeter side. Hers is not. Um, but we were both really happy with it. So uh, go Prisoner Wine. Go to theprisonerwine.com slash happy hour for 20% off plus shipping included on your first purchase. Order now. This is the best deal they have available. So get 20% off plus shipping included at theprisonerwine.com slash happy hour. That's T-H-E-P-R-I-S-O-N-E-R-W-I-N-E.com slash happy hour. Offer is valid on first-time online orders only for U.S. residents of legal drinking age through 31st of January 2022. Limit one offer per household. Other exclusions may apply. Please enjoy wines responsibly. Thanks to the Prisoner Wine Company for sponsoring the show. You, you know, we didn't. You and I didn't name this podcast Happy Hour, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it it stems from nine to five math being like the workday. And then the podcast is like after hours, the happy, which which is happy hours when drinks are usually half off, and we're coming to. The, so it's so appropriate <laughs> after all these years to have a wine sponsor. Uh, new in macOS twelve point two beta is some interesting changes. Uh, some stuff with the music app and the TV app has changed as well. Uh, some stuff from MacBook Pro users. Uh, what's the first thing that stands out here to you? Yeah, so in contrast to 15.3 on iOS, which is basically nothing, at least in beta 1, uh, macOS 12.2 has some interesting changes. So they've they've started this bef- on the TV app uh, with earlier versions of macOS 12, but now it's implemented across TV and the music app, and that is native view implementation. So before now, the Mac music app and the TV app were implemented basically as like thin wrappers around web views so if you look at music which is obviously previously itunes the library tab uh and like your local playlists and stuff they would be rendered using a uh native ui and that's because it inherited the classic itunes interface right but all the apple music stuff even when you're using like the apple music playlist it would have a very different layout and it would have a very different like loading times and weird uh, behaviors because all of that stuff was basically just wrapping a very thin web view. And so the interface you saw there was almost identical to the one you'd see if you went to the Apple Music website at music.apple.com because they would literally just wrap it around and you'd have like the toolbar of macOS and the sidebar of macOS, but the actual like main view, it would just be a website. And this manifested itself in stuff being slow to load. It was laggy when you scrolled. It just, you know, it wasn't a very nice premium experience. And some of this like third party, some of the like web view stuff you expect from third party developers, right? They have to support so many platforms and they don't have massive resources. And, you know, it's probably not worth the cost benefit analysis. But Apple's the platform proprietor and they, you know, espouse the benefits of native applications and the experience in the quality bar. So the fact that its own applications were implemented in this kind of cruddy way was a bit of an indictment. And so what I'm happy to say is that with 12.2, they're actually changing it. So, they're still using like a cross-platform kind of like 
logic framework that is shared amongst all of the applications across platforms and across like all the smart TVs and all the other random things that the music app and the TV app keep appearing on. But the actual like the UI layer is now actually getting rendered using native views. So it just feels it it, it just feels a lot smoother, a lot more responsive. Uh, screen should be faster to load. Scrolling should be more should feel better, and just the the general like direct interaction niceness that you get from a native application and that you typically don't get from a web view should, is now making its way to the Mac media apps in music and TV, which is great. And this probably pays the way for even more like functionality down the road as well. But it was a big, obviously, a big job for them to convert all of the web view stuff to a native representation. Which uh, which is using like native collection views and grids and everything like that, and I'm sure there'll be a a, a smattering of like regressions along the way. I know the subreddit on Mac is complaining a few things that stuff has gone back in time on the Mac Music app on Beta One, like the the uh, the bar above. So if you're in like list view and you've got those little like name category album name, and when you scroll down and they like basically sticky headers to the top of the screen, I know they've gone away and stuff. So little things have regressed, but this is clearly the right direction to go in for just a better experience overall. And down the road, unified functionality implemented across platforms, but also using the native UI of macOS. So it's a great change. Similarly, uh, in 12.1, Apple promised improvements to um, scrolling uh, for 120 hertz promotion for the MacBook Pro uh, in Safari, because I obviously had a story about that you know, a lot of apps weren't taking advantage of 120 correctly. That included um, music, Finder, a lot of applications. But the big one that it came up with is uh, Safari. So in 12.1, they changed some animations around in Safari to make them run at 120. But with 12.2, they're going even further. So you should now get even smoother promotion rendering in Safari when scrolling web pages. And I haven't installed the 12.2 beta on my main laptop uh, but i've seen a lot of commentary from people that have tried it out that there is indeed a noticeable improvement on 12.2 so safari scrolling is indeed snappier <laughs> yeah i think that the bass is louder too when you play music. <laughs> so uh i mean go, go back to the music thing does this address our concerns with spotify being you know not as laggy as rubbish uh, i mean much yeah. better than the music <laughs> does this address uh, Apple music being laggier than spotify in terms of loading it is it, it's an improvement and it gets closer i don't think it's going to be a a 100 fix just on this update it will take and, and, and that's still very much a web experience i think that that page that you see of stuff i mean i don't know but but that's kind of my guess is that because that changes it it's still just how they're bringing it in and saving it and replacing it yeah, it, I think it's a good start and it helps and it will make some stuff feel less laggy, but it's probably still going to be like slow to load each individual page. Uh, and hopefully they're working on that. But it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, an, it's definitely like if that's your goal and you want it to be like that, doing this is a great step in that direction. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, this week we have the release of Swift Playgrounds 4, which is long awaited. It was announced at WWDC in June. And this is the version of Swift Playgrounds on the iPad that you can actually code in Swift and submit an app to the App Store for publication and release, right? Yes. Yeah, like, finally, you can make an iPad app on the iPad and ship it to other people. Kind of crazy. Have you you played with this? I've done it very briefly. Have you Uh, you been in the playground? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the older Swift Playgrounds apps, they obviously didn't didn't let you make full applications. Uh, they kind of were like little testbed environments that you could make little views and you they were mostly like tutorial land. But if you actually tried to make like fully fledged apps in fully fledged applications, the kind of just like performance of the of the editor and the compiling, it would get really slow. Like it would lag a lot. Way, way slower compared to doing it on Xcode on a Mac. Uh Swift Playgrounds 4, not only does it give you the capability that you never had before to run an iPad app as a full iPad app on uh, that you've made on your iPad and then submit it to the App Store for approval, just the creation of the application, is the, that experience is way better. Like They've obviously revamped so much of the internals to make it faster to compile your code. When you're typing, you get much better autocomplete of code suggestions. Like The whole experience is 
greatly improved than just oh now you can ship the app to the app store because that sounds like they just added like a a button in the in the share menu to send to the app store right like the whole core of the application is greatly overhauled to give you a much better like actual editing experience way closer to like a mini xcode than i imagined it would be it's nowhere close to an xcode experience because they have a lot of limitations on what you can actually do like it's limited to like swift and swift ui and you know third-party frameworks can't really be brought in and stuff but in term if you're just making like a swift ui self-contained project the experience on like a modern ipad through swift playgrounds 4 is pretty damn good like i was i was very impressed with it to be honest all right cool did you follow some of uh stephen Chotton smith's criticisms i None of it made sense to me, but um, he, he seemed to, to have some issues, concerns. There were things that weren't quite cute tested the way he thought they should be. Yeah, there are a few. Like, they, they're kind of, like, pretty in the weeds, so there's not much point, uh, like, just rearranging it. But, though, like, it's not it's not less capable than Swift, Play, is, than Swift Playgrounds 3. It's more than that, if you see what I sure, mean. So sure. the shackles yeah. that are attached to it, uh, some of them are little bugs that I'm sure will get ironed out in time, and other mm. things are just issues of being an ios app right because one of the coolest things that swift playgrounds 4 does is that you can launch like like obviously you've got an ipad screen you're making an ipad app well how do you test the application in a in a in a, in a third-party application there's no way for you to like spawn a separate process and have it take over the screen uh but because swift playgrounds 4 has a load of apple uh, special source in it because it's an apple app they can put an icon on your home screen which is your application it can launch and it then has a little like it doesn't have to it doesn't have to impede or or occlude the screen with any of like the exco controls it just fully takes over the screen with your app running and all it does is puts in the status bar a little swift icon uh that you can tap to go back to the editor so you know like the little icon that appears if you're doing screen sharing or you're mm-hmm. you're on a phone call and you go to the home screen that little like bubble with the green background and the phone icon like they have one of them but just for swift playgrounds so what color is it is it orange it's orange it's orange oh that's good <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so uh that's the kind of thing that that's why apple kind of has to make this app because no no other application can pass app review to get that kind of right connection to the system so it's really good honestly like it, it, it way better than uh what i expected it to be yeah sounds like a pretty good situation then and something something to build on too so that's nice Anything else for the week? Uh, we'll just do a couple of TV Plus little things. So uh, we'll probably talk about this more next year, but Apple's beginning to announce their 2021 slate. So they've released trailers and release dates for After Party, Suspicion, Severance, We Crashed. That's the one about WeWork. Um, that's coming in the spring. Uh, there were Some of these things look pretty good, and they're coming out like January, February, March timeframe. Uh, the first one is the After Party. That's at the end of January. Uh, and then also James Bond and Apple are partnering on a, a 007 documentary uh, fil- film about like all the music from all the 007 films. So like the hmm. you know the classic title music, they're going to do a big run through of that and the background, the history, all the way up to the latest film, No Time to Die. That'll be coming out in October. So there's a while to wait on that. But that was a cool announcement. And I know this week that you watched their latest release, uh, Swan Song. Yeah, I did watch Swan Song. Um, I watched. It Is it good? It, 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 I, I think it's good. You, before the movie came out, you were like, you, you told me this could either be very good or fall flat, and I wasn't disappointed. I would, I would watch it again. So yeah, and I was really fascinated by technology in the movie too. Um, but that, that's another thing. Um, I, you know, I love a good music documentary on Apple TV Plus, and so I didn't know about the W Seven one, but that's that appeals to me. Um, that's cool. So I'm looking forward to next fall. And then in the notes, when I was reading what you had supplied here, After Party, Suspicion, Severance, We Crashed, it sounds like a bat, like a, like a night gone wrong or something. Like <laughs> all together. So, anyway. Apple also seems to have an obsession with one word titles for their show. Even, even We Crashed is one word. We Crashed. Yeah. Like, we work. So, yep. <laughs> They, if you look at their like last like thirty releases, like half of them are single words, and then of those single word ones, half of them start with the letter S. Like <laughs> it's just a random coincidence, but they clearly like single word uh, show names. Yeah. Well, all right, that is the happy hour, happy hour podcast for this week. Uh, if you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and listen to the ad free version for four ninety nine a month. Um, we also appreciate any listener who supports the ad supported version. Uh, it keeps us going, and we love doing this podcast. Uh, if you have any feedback for the show, you can email us at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. 
You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ApolloZach. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. And Zach, Benjamin, if you're going to spell your own Twitter handle out, make sure you get it right. <laughs> I'm fading. And you're on Twitter at? BZA Mayo. <laughs> All right. And with that being said, we'll be back next week for a New Year's episode. Everyone have a Merry Christmas and uh, be safe. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.